0: Last week, if you were here with us, we walked through Psalm 85, and um, for me it felt like it was an important text and message to share, and I think something God um, is working in us and wants to grow in us, um, not as a one-time thought shared on a Sunday, but this growth among us with the theme of the psalm that's really a prayer for restoration, a prayer for revival, that was the core idea of Psalm 85. And um, I encouraged you last week, and even if you weren't here with us, and you can take this psalm, read it, and use it as, let the language start to give you a language of prayer to ask the Lord to restore your own heart and our own church community. And, and when we say this, you know, a prayer for restoration or revival, it's not, it's not a prayer to say, oh, everything's bad, or, oh, you know, we're down here and we need to be up here. It's, it's a constant um, you know, coming to the Lord and, and longing for him to do his work among us. But one of, one of the things we admitted last week as we looked at this psalm and this idea for this need for revival or restoration is because we all go through cycles. People go through cycles and churches go through cycles. We go through cycles where we can, we can, you know... Um, kind of detour away from God's purposes or become stagnant in our faith or relationship with him, or even as a church community, you know, fall at a step with the heart of worship or the heart of, of, of growing in the gospel or the heart of community and, and, and experiencing the Lord. So there's an admitted, there's an admission when we pray this way because we know that we walk through cycles. And I want us to keep that Psalm in mind as a backdrop to what we start today over the next few weeks and even as we jump into this season, and so we might be using it in gatherings and online to just um, help us remember these things, and you can read it on your own. But I, I want us to just be in the a, in a backdrop, and, and, and here's the reason why. I want to think about what it means to kind of like refresh our understanding, our heart of what God wants to do in us. And last uh, Christmas or New Year's, I read... Um, um this book called hit refresh and it's it's from um Microsoft's new CEO i think i mentioned it once in a message for one of the stories he shares but i i love the title hit refresh and i actually love the subtitle the quest to rediscover microsoft's soul and and, and imagine a better future for everyone I love the, the title, this idea of hitting refresh. It's not saying let's start from scratch, let's start all over, but it's saying let's refresh really a sense of who we are. And I like the subtitle because it says the same thing. Because this is a little bit of a comeback story for Microsoft. And this new CEO didn't want to change everything at Microsoft. But what he did and what he saw, he said, well, I want to revive the heartbeat of this company of what why we started and what we're about and and what we're called to do and and I want us to be ready to move into the future with a sense of who we are and and I like that idea. You know, I know it's written by uh, you know, a tech person and a company but that idea is something that I think can speak to us when we pray for restoration, when we pray for revival. In the next few weeks, I want to revisit some core ideas, some core truths, some core pieces that really have shaped our identity as a church and, and who we want to be. And in some ways, we've grown in these ways. In some ways, we haven't grown as much as we'd like to have grown. And so I want to press, kind of want to press refresh and, and at least one part of what it means to pray for restoration. It's to say, Lord, refresh in us um, this core biblical ideas and values and vision of who you want us to be. When you pray that prayer, obviously you ask the question, like, well, restore us to what? Right? Well, if you can just pray that prayer randomly and you say, restore us to what? And so there's two, I think there's two things we need to understand. When someone prays for restoration or revival... They're, they could pray in two ways. You could pray for something that once was, and you know it was good and wonderful and amazing. And you pray, Lord, restore us. You know, Habakkuk prayed this prayer in, in, in this a small minor prophet letter. When he said, Lord, I've, I've heard of your fame. I've heard of your deeds. Renew them in our day. So this prophet in the Old Testament prayed that kind of prayer. I've heard what you've done. I've, I've heard the stories. I've even experienced part of it myself renew them in our day. So sometimes a prayer for restoration is this is what once was or what, what we once experienced. Lord, refresh that, restore that in our experience today. But the other way you can pray that is sometimes, well, that's not our memory. That's, we never experienced that. I don't know what it feels like to have really been caught up in a, in a heartfelt worship with the Lord. I don't know what it feels like to really absorb the scriptures and, and sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit in me. And you might look back and say, I can't pray a prayer of memory what once was. But you could pray what could be, what should be, what God desires for you. And so when we pray for restoration, we can pray both ways. We can pray for maybe what once was, if it's really what God desires. Don't pray for what once was, if it's not what God desires. There's no point in that. But if it was, or what should be, even if you've never experienced it. So, I wrote this on the screen to help us. It says, I said this if you can't pray with a memory of something you'd like to refresh again, it doesn't mean you can't pray with a hope of what should be. If you can't pray with a memory of something you'd like to refresh again, it doesn't mean you can't pray with a hope of what should be. I remember feeling this maybe 10 years ago. Now, I've been following Jesus like since I'm a young teenager. So, it's crazy to think, but almost 30 years. But 10 years ago, I discovered a way to read the scriptures that I never really saw before. And it was really understanding the scriptures as story. Like I was a Christian for so long. And before I ever discovered a lens to read the scripture as story, it just it, when, I, when that happened, it changed the way I read the scriptures. It changed the way I understood the scriptures. And it was understanding them as story. And it brought life to me. Like, it brought life to how I read the Scriptures. It brought life to how I was able to see the Scriptures and interpret the Scriptures and understand the Scriptures. It felt like a revival. But here's the thing. It didn't restore something that once was. It's not like, oh, yeah, I remember in my teen years, we used to read the Scriptures' story. Lord, God, refresh that. No, I never read the Scriptures that way. But as I started to, I realized that's what should be. That's what could be. And so as we pray for something for God to refresh our hearts. We can understand that sometimes it's it's something we haven't experienced or understood. And that's okay as long as God is working in our hearts. So I want to refresh this kind of longing in our heart for what God desires in us. And and so the next few weeks I want to kind of title it like church as and we're going to fill in the blanks. Is that okay? Church as and we're going to fill in the blanks. And and here's what I want to start with today. This idea of that we've talked about several times over the last several years, even from inception of this church, is church is community. To refresh our idea is what it means to be a church community. Last night, um, as we, a bunch of people were working, and, then, and um, I showed up uh, in the later afternoon and um, spent some time with them, and they were coming to the end of what they've done, and they were doing and there was a picture I think online and it could have been today on the screen. They're all just sitting there in the in one of in one of the rooms that's actually clean. Yeah, that's the room. And so they're sitting there and as people are sharing, I, I, it was it was a beautiful, it was like we were in a really awesome community group and there was a moment of worship, but you didn't you couldn't is it is this worship, is God doing something? Because somebody just shared in that moment that like very vulnerably and open and very authentically and and it was this somber moment where this person said, you know, I, maybe I'm sharing this because I'm really tired. <laughs> but this whole process has been amazing for me because it's, it's grown my love for, for the church. I've gotten to meet people that I never met before. And I've become so grateful of all that God has done. And as he, as he said that, there was just this moment of like, oh, wow. This is a sense of community, biblical community, where we're joining hearts towards something. And I wish all of us kind of could have been there in that moment. It just it just kind of happened. And, and as I think about West Side's history, there's been movement and, 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 and fluctuation and fluidity in various locations and sometimes forced changes like from obstacles and we had to fix things and change things. And I realized that over the years, what I've come to realize is church has never really been a place for us. And it's not meant to be a place for us even in the future, even though we're signing a 10-year lease. It's always been, it's meant to be about People. And place is infused with meaning and purpose because of our calling and our vision and our heartbeat. It's never about the floor or the seats or the wall, or right? Church as people, not church as place, is part of what it means to be church as community. But I ask this question, where did we get this value from? Where do other churches desire? Why do other churches desire this? Why is it even a human desire in our hearts? Why why do we even see the church as community? I mean, is it just a desire? Is it just because I like to hang out with people? Is it just because we like to talk over coffee? Is it because we need someone around us? Is that why the church? Is that why we describe the church as community? Or is there something that we're more rooted in that's not just a need or a desire or something that feels good? And, and I ask a question, like, did Jesus really intend this? Did the Holy Spirit really empower the church to be community? And so I want to do this kind of sketch from Jesus onward to, to see where this idea is rooted in. And I want to start with Jesus calling his disciples. Because as Jesus... Um, begins to move into a season of ministries. You know, he's living for 30 years and he gets baptized. He's in the desert for 40 hours. He then starts this ministry, he starts to call people to follow him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and others. Now, in that time period, it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi, if we consider Jesus similar, comparing him to like a first century rabbi, it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to call people and, and, and invite them to, to listen to his teaching and grow. It wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to have students. It wasn't even uncommon for a rabbi to have close relationships with their students. I mean, they spent a lot of time together. There's one phrase um, from the first century that I always love is that, that the students of the rabbi are often, their feet are dirty with the dust of the rabbi because they're walking so closely to the rabbi on dirt floors. And that sense of, of course, there's a closeness with the rabbi. So even though Jesus could be compared to a first century rabbi who taught his disciples, he didn't only see them as students. And this is kind of the seed of even community in the life of Jesus. John 15, 15 says this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I've made known to you. That Jesus, God's son, would call his disciples. Think of a first century rabbi. He said, I call you friends. This is the, the seeds of community right here in Jesus' life. One of my favorite verses is Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where the idea of community, I believe, even starts there. I mean, it's bigger than just community for sure, but I love this phrase. He appointed 12, so the first 12 disciples, that they might be with him. That they might be with. With him. Of course, there's more that they might be sent out to preach. But that first part, he appointed 12, he chose them that they might be with him. I mean, this is the intentional choice of God's Son calling people not just to listen to him, not just to do what he says, not just to gain a vision of God's kingdom, to be with him. To be with him. And that this community would be the seed or Kind of the starting of what later would be called the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the witnesses of Christ, an ordained partner with God's mission in the world. Paul calls us partners in the gospel. Later these people, as the church would grow, would become that. But it started this simple expression of he appointed them to be with him. He appointed them to be with him. So you can't read about Jesus and not understand that to follow him and a life of faith and a spiritual journey is ever possible alone. You can't understand that it's meant to be alone. It's called, we're called to, to grow in community, to serve in community, to follow Jesus in community. You know, our, our, our youth last week went to a retreat. Not A bunch of them did. And, um, and our heartbeat behind encouraging these things is, is really, is partly because of community. Of course, we want, uh, you know, all of us want to grow in faith. We want Jesus to be the center, but we know that community is part of what it means to be a Christian. And here's just some pictures of, of, of that. But the, the behind the why, like, why would we encourage that? You know, when, when even, even my wife and I knew that, that the youth were planning this, there was this idea, like, I, let's encourage as many as we possibly can to do this. Because there's this longing in us to see all of us and Especially as our, our kids are turning teenagers and then young adults, to grow in this sense of community, to build spiritual friendships. There's something that my wife and I pray daily for our kids, and uh, even though now they're teenagers, they're not little kids. Is that that they would develop uh, spiritual friends, and that they would discover some mentors that are beyond them and older than them, or wiser than them, that would pour into their hearts sometimes we pray um, just consistently for that to take place why do we do that because we we know our own experience the good parts of what it meant to be in community and sometimes when we feel we lacked it we're like lord we pray for spiritual friends we pray for mentors for our kids and nurture it in any way we can and here's we see the seed of that in jesus but it doesn't just stop at Jesus, it continues. Of course, the disciples hang out together. I want to just like switch the scene right over to the book of Acts because the disciples eventually become the church in Acts. There are 12, and then there's about 100. Of course, there's many followers. There's 120 um, followers of Jesus praying in an upper duplex in Jerusalem, waiting for God's Spirit to come. And we see the precursor of the church being a community together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says they were all together in one place. And that word pops up again later in the book of Acts. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Here they were huddled together, waiting on the command of Jesus to wait and pray in sequence what he desired to give them, the Holy Spirit. And, and just before that, I love when Jesus announces to them a chapter earlier that he says, you, plural, will be called witnesses. He doesn't say like, Daria, you're a witness. He, and that's true, she's a witness, right? Dave, you're a witness. Peggy, you're a witness. Cabby, you're a witness. Eric, you're a witness. So he says, you, plural, will be my witnesses as a church, as a community, together. On mission, a family on mission. And the Holy Spirit post, you know, from Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fill this group of people and use them and add to their number, and the church is born. The church is born. And this body Jesus promised he would build, he, it's supernaturally catalyzed by root, being rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And what's the first thing that happens? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Catch how many times even the words come up. They, all these people now that began following Jesus, bigger than the disciples, as 3,000 were added to them that day. So let's say a whole bunch of people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. We'll keep going. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this, this this description, together. These are the seeds of communion. When we say, why? Why why should we press refresh and say, refresh our, our idea, our passion, our love for community We see it throughout the story from Jesus into the starting of the church. Did this just happen? Like I think about that. Of course the resurrection made that possible. Of course belief in Jesus made that possible. Of course the outpouring of the Holy Spirit made that possible. But reading between the lines, there's no doubt in my mind that the apostles nurtured this. That that the apostles who spent time with Jesus said and thought and felt we need to nurture what Jesus started with us. Jesus said, I called you to be with me. Jesus called those friends. We need to nurture what Jesus did in us, what Jesus started with us, what we experienced with Jesus and we want to nurture that in these new followers of Christ. We want them to have a be with experience and I believe that they nurtured that. And when we think about what it means to be a church and someone coming to faith and someone following Jesus, there's no doubt that community is part of it. I mean, we're here together. We spend some time over coffee. Very often we break bread together and pour wine. We share the communion meal together. We often invite people to join a community group, to serve together. We often encourage people to reach out to one another, to get encouragement from one another. When someone's going through a difficult time and they need prayer support, we say, why don't you partner with this person? They will be a support, a help to you. Why do we do that? Because all of the Christian walk is meant to be walked in community. Our faith is communal. And as the church begins to grow in these pockets and and the Apostle Paul and and others spread out and and we see the church just expanding into different regions, when we read the New Testament letters and we read especially the letters of Paul, this one phrase comes up over and over again. Maybe some of you already know the phrase I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say? What phrase comes up so often in Paul's letters? Anybody want to venture out just for fun? What? Dearly Dearly loved. That's a good one. That's not the one I had in mind, but that's a very good one. What? I didn't hear it. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. That's a really See, I didn't think of those ones, but that's, those are good ones. It's this, here's this phrase, all right? One another. Paul uses this phrase several, several times in his letters. What does it mean to be a community? He uses this phrase. Now, Paul, super smart guy, the intellectual type, you know... Quintessential church planter, theologian, scholar, apostle, teacher. He probably loved to be in discussions with people, loved to apologetically defend the faith and see people come to faith. And among all the things, he taught the church in his letters. Among all the things, there was a lot of things and some great things, and he led people always Jesus-focused, always calling us what it means to be in Christ. But you know this phrase comes up so often. This one another phrase. Paul taught about faith. Paul Paul highlighted, lifted up Jesus. Paul called us to the cross. Paul brought correction. Paul brought practical wisdom. wisdom. But when when he equipped the church to be a community, he used this phrase, one another. Over and over and over again. Over again. He says things like serve one another, bear with one another, accept one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate with one another, submit to one another, forgive one another. And the list goes on that the heartbeat of what it means to be the church is church as community. One of my favorites is Romans chapter 13, verse eight. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And this next phrase is a game changer for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Jesus said a new commandment I give to you. This new covenant I'm I'm instituting, love one another. Jesus says this, the the, the full next and final phase of what God is doing in history hinges on this new commandment, love one another. And Paul says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law of Christ. In some ways it seems so simple. And in some ways, really? And that's the heart. Love, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an incredible teacher and um, resilient church leader during the time of Hitler. Um, Worked so hard and tirelessly and risked his life to prevent the church from falling into this allegiance with with Hitler, the state church. And and he, he says this in a book. He wrote an amazing book called Life Together. And he says this in this book. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. And it's true. We all often have this agenda of community or this dream of community. But I love how Bonhoeffer puts it. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will actually destroy community. But the one who loves others around them will create community. See, so often we, we, we try and think of ways to make this happen. We try and think, oh, we should cast a vision for community. Or we should dream up a way to do community. Or maybe, we, you know, we should, we should advocate for it. And Barapha, I think he's smack on with what the scripture says. Just love others. Paul says, when you love others, you fulfill the law. Jesus said, a new commandment, I give you love one another. Love hinges on this. And I don't, we're not going to talk about all, all the one another's. But one, when I, I was researching this and I... I was reminded that Paul used this one, this one word four times when he talks about the one another. It's a simple word. He says, greet one another. Four times. Often with a holy kiss. Eric, can I greet you with a holy kiss? No, he's going to... Anyways. Um, now, if all four times he mentions the holy kiss, I guess, you know, I mean, this is Middle Eastern culture, and uh, this is great. I mean, some places they kiss three times when they greet each other. So, anyways, if you guys, you know, kiss one another on your way out, it's okay. It's fully biblical. Um... But but four times four times Paul uses that phrase, "Greet one another, greet one another, with a holy kiss." Or he says a, a kiss, in a, of love of 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 genuine brotherly sisterly family love. The other night uh, I wasn't uh, I heard about this that our our youth hung out the other night um, at the the Hodges residence in Saint Anne de Bellevue and, and there was a gang of them there. And uh, I heard that one of the guys, one of the teen guy, older teen guys, noticed that there was two other guys that came that night that were there for the first time. And that this guy just, this young guy just stood up and went over and, and just said, hey, I want to welcome you guys to being here today. It's so great to have you around. And, you know, it's nice to have you. Oh, simple thing. He walked over and greeted these two guys, welcomed them to the group, welcomed them there. Do you know that that's often a rarity in groups? That's often a rarity, even today. I bet you, it's it's. We, we feel awkward. Oh, I see that. I don't know that face, but you know, I'm, I'm not gonna. I, I might. Maybe they will feel awkward. Maybe they just want to stay anonymous. This this step of just greeting, it's just in the scriptures. But this just step of greeting is huge. This teenager fulfilled four New Testament verses when he walked across the room. Four New Testament verses when he walked across the room. I want to tell you a story about. Uh, the power of a greeting. Post-Watergate, after President Nixon, the, the whole scandal and everything, a um, little while later, there was a funeral of um, a very popular vice president, uh, Hubert Humphrey. And uh, obviously all these, you know, known political leaders are there. And Nixon shows up out of respect. But he's, he's off to the corner Nobody's talking to him. Nobody's connecting with him. And he likely feels very awkward. And, and he's labeled. I mean, he's labeled. After Watergate, he's labeled. You know, he, and it's for, for reason, all the things he did. He's labeled distance, feeling alone. And one person notices him across the room. Before, as, as this person's walking to their seat, to take their seat, he notices Nixon across the room. And he decides to cross the room. That was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter sees Nixon across the room. He walks across the room. He embraces Nixon and he says, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. And there would be good reason not to do that. There would be good reason not to do that. But Carter walks across the room, Welcome home, Mr. President. And Newsweek reported that story and said, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. We don't know at times what a, a moment will do for somebody. What a moment will do for somebody. Paul simply says, greet one another. Church is a one another community. So much we could say and unpack. And as we continue walking through the New Testament, we, we end in the book of Revelation and there's the beautiful vision of God's people sitting around a table in a feast. Multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of people. Thousands and thousands and thousands. Revelation nineteen six to 9 describes a glimpse of that. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. If we could just put it up, I want to read it together. Hallelujah. This is a hallelujah for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's so much in there, of course. The, the the bride is the church the groom is jesus it's this moment walking into you know eternity literally and we are now together the body of christ but i love the description this it's a it's a party it's a wedding it's a feast around a table there's it's family it's community it's celebration and so we have this this image of community right throughout the new testament jesus acts paul's letters right up to this beautiful vision of this wedding supper of the Lamb with Jesus being the main person. And so as as I think about all those things, I just think about, wow, we have this beautiful opportunity in this next season to press refresh on community to press refresh on community, to, to take this vision, to take the heartbeat of the gospel, to take the, 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 the example, the life, the teachings of Jesus, what we read in the, Paul's letters and the other letters, what, what we see in the book of Acts, what we see the vision of eternity being like, and say this, we can press refresh on community and build this together and, and trust the Lord is at work among us. This be with culture that Jesus created with his disciples. This togetherness that we read in the early parts of the book of Acts that was nurtured and experienced. This one another practice that Paul referred to so often. This this sense of family celebration that we see in Revelation chapter 19. To press refresh on it. And, um, you know, it's, this is hard stuff though sometimes. I, you know, Westside's been around now 15 years this season. And some of you that know me know that, especially in the early stages, I must have said the word community, you know, every every once every three words that I said, (laughs) because it's just something I wanted to see. But I've noticed over the years that it's a hard, it's not easy. At times, in our culture, in our the sense of individualism, the the awkwardness we sometimes feel in in stepping over a line and crossing a room. It's easy to preach on, but it's hard to see fulfilled. (laughs) It's easy to talk about, but it's hard to see fulfilled. And I've realized it can't be forced. can't be manufactured. We can't say, you know, Matt, you stand here. Eric, you stand here. You know, have, you know like, be like brothers. can't just force that. You can't, can't manufacture that, you know? It's just, it, it doesn't just happen. It must be desired. It must be nurtured. But I realize it doesn't just happen. But I'm hopeful because I know it's on God's heart. I know that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I know we see it in the vision Jesus gives us for what it means to be the church. So I want to press refresh with that. For two minutes, for two minutes, heres I, I'm not giving you a real application today. I'll, I'll leave you with like one or two things maybe at the end. But for two minutes, I want you to turn around to one or two people and I want you to just, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, a good, if it's like a good idea or a bad idea. It doesn't really matter because I'm only giving you 30 seconds to do it. So don't worry. There's really no high standard in this, okay? Um, but it's like, what We just shared this together. We walked through this, you know, this glimpse of the New Testament. How would you practice what we just shared? Is there an, is, how would you see this come to light? How would you see us grow in this? So we're all here. There's people. We have voices. Just take two minutes and just share with one or two people beside you. And maybe it's going to be a question. Maybe it's going to be a, a quick example. Maybe it's, you have a real idea. And just share it. Because I think it's more important that you guys share it than I just share it. So just try it. Go for it. Let's get a little noisy in here. Come on. Do it. Share something. All right. All right. Hey, can, can, we, can we shift now? It's great to see so many people talking. It's awesome. Can, can one, of the person, one of the people you're talking with share a 20-second prayer in their group? Just pray that the Lord would restore the heart of God what it means to be a loving community with one another. Remember, I said we don't pray these things because, like, oh, we're so bad. We're praying because we long to see what God does, you know? So you guys were all talking. It's good. Keep the noise level up. Maybe one person in the group or one or two, just, like, literally a 20-second prayer, and then I'll wrap up with a short thought, and we'll close together. Sound good? Go for it. You guys, yeah, pray. Pray. There's a mix of praying and talking. So why don't we just we'll wrap it up now? <laughs> um, two things, and, and my, my anticipation is that you know next week will continue, but this whole church as a theme will continue for the next few weeks. And I think there's so much we can say about this topic. But two things, two things I think we could all do this week. One is between this week and next week, reach out to one person, one person that you feel either feels disconnected to community um, maybe lacks a sense of belonging, and just reach out to them so they feel, and even if they don't, just reach out to one person so they feel connected to community. It's one thing. Just reach out to one person between this week and next week in any way you want. Phone call, a text, a Facebook message, a personal, you know, whatever, just so to help them feel connected to what God is doing in and, in and through us and among us as a church community. And then this is the next one. Pray for someone you st- just pray for them. I'm not telling you to go, like, have coffee with them. Pray for someone you struggle um, you struggle to feel connected with. We're not all called to be best friends. That's not what I'm saying. But, but pray for someone you struggle to connect with. I don't know. Maybe you don't like them. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe you're different kind of wavelengths. Maybe you had a weird conversation four months ago and you don't really know how to, how to like, approach them again. I don't know. But you're, you're siblings in Christ. Right, your siblings in Christ, and so pray. Just pray for someone that you struggle to feel a connection with, or maybe just you know struggle with. So I, I would say that reach out to one person this week just to help them feel connected. Pray for one person you struggle um, with connecting. And uh, I end with this story: there was a, there was a monastery up in the in the forest, um, and it was it was really becoming a popular tourist spot because some really cool things, they were known as like the beautiful things they're doing, the amazing community that these monks had together, the stuff that they were producing, working together. And uh, over time, less and less people would go to visit this monastery. And uh, some of the comments, I don't think they had a feedback sheet online, but uh, some of the comments, they realized that the, the guests that would go visit the monastery, at a certain point, they started to sense animosity among the monks. Uh, not really great friendliness, even among them as a community. And the atmosphere changed. And less and less people wanted to actually go visit the monastery. So from becoming this beautiful, attractive place, it became something that's like, I don't really want to go there. And so this the abbot of the monastery, the person overseeing that, asked a rabbi friend of his, he said, would, you know, this is what's going on, would you give me some insight? Would you give me some insight into what... What this, so, so this this rabbi apparently he prayed and had this thought, this this vision of of asking this question, like that the Messiah is actually present in this monastery. So the abbot said to the rabbi, "So what are you thinking?" He's like, "I had this thought, I had this vision, and I want, I really sense the Messiah is among you." And the abbot's like, "Well, the Messiah is not me," and the and the others who were, you know, as the as the abbot shared this with the monks, are like, "Well." Who's the Messiah among us? Well, obviously, literally, the Messiah wasn't among them as one of the people. But the thought of the Messiah being there, something changed. They started to treat each other differently. They started to see each other differently. They started to realize if the Messiah is present here, then our community must look differently. And really, that's the heartbeat of the church. When Jesus, the Messiah, is present, we begin to see each other differently. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, and thank you for this incredible vision and in, of what it means to be your church. Thank you for that. That in your scripture we're just not not just told this; we see it in the life of your Son Jesus. We see it in his interactions with the disciples. We see it in the life and practices of the of the early church. Oh God, and then we also hear it and. And listen and welcome the teaching of the early church. How we can love and serve and encourage and forgive one another. Thank you for the vision of eternity. The fullness of your kingdom, the new creation. Lord, I I pray, God, that, that this vision, this heartbeat, that we could press refresh on what it means for us today, in our city, in this season, what it means to be a community. Lord, I pray for some of the, I'm sure, amazing ideas or convictions that came up in the discussion. God, that we would discern with the power of your Spirit and and move into some of these things, into living these things out, God. I pray that you would help us when there's difficult um, obstacles along the journey of community, to trust you and find courage in you, God, to speak into each other's lives, to be candid with each other when needed, to forgive when needed, God to give grace when needed, Lord, and mercy. God, ultimately, um, we're grateful. We know intuitively and we know by your word that Jesus is among us, that your son, our Messiah, Jesus, is among us. May the way we pursue life together reflect that he is here, that he is our great shepherd, that he is our leader and king. God, that's what we long for. And may the implication of, of how we grow in community, Lord, may, may it reflect Jesus' heart, Jesus' life, Jesus' mission, mission and vision, and his leadership in our lives and in our church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.